You're listening to Sex Gets Real with Dawn Sarah. That's me. This is a place where we explore sex, bodies, and relationships from a place of curiosity and inclusion, tying the personal to the cultural, where you're just as likely to hear tender questions about shame and the complexities of love as you are to hear experts challenging the dominant stories around pleasure, body politics, and liberation. This is about the big and the small, about sex and everything surrounding it we don't usually name. The funny, the awkward, the imperfect happen here in service to joy, connection, healing, and creating healthier relationships with ourselves and each other. So welcome to Sex Gets Real. Don't forget to hit subscribe. Hello, you. It's time for another episode of Sex Gets Real. I am so excited you're here. Your emails have been coming in and I am loving your questions, so keep them coming. The easiest way to reach out is via the contact form at donsarah.com. And I would love to support you around whatever feels tender, stuck, frustrating, scary, or maybe where you've got some curiosity. And patrons, this week's bonus is all about the four horsemen of the apocalypse. When it comes to relationships, we're going to talk about the four behaviors that signal a relationship is in need of repair. Um, These behaviors have also been found to contribute to relationships that are on the decline uh, and what we can do about it. So I wish I had had this information in my 20s. Because it would have helped so much. Tune in at patreon.com slash SGR podcast for that bonus content. Supporting the show at $3 a month, just $3 a month, gets you access to this week's bonus and all the other bonuses over the past few years. And your help means so much because getting sponsors for this show is really challenging. Every single dollar you send my way really, really has a big impact. So where are we going this week? Well, I came across a few interesting tidbits that I've saved and thought we could roll around in. And then I've got a couple of your emails. They're emails about sex with someone who is paraplegic and in a wheelchair, emails about being terrified of sex, and an email about whether or not it's important to have a strong sexual relationship with yourself, even in relationship, and what it means for a married straight man to want a male masturbation buddy. So much good stuff, right? Okay, so let's jump into the things that I saved this week. The first is a resource that Jacqueline Friedman shared, and I immediately bookmarked it. I'm going to link to it at donsarah.com ep290. For episode 290, so you can grab it too. It's an illustrated essay on how to give yourself an abortion, specifically an abortion using pills. It's really thorough, very interesting. There's history on how abortions have been managed very safely for millennia throughout cultures with various herbs and medicines. There's specifics on how it all works, what to expect, plus some really important resources for connecting with doctors to get questions answered and loads of other information that I think 
could be potentially life-saving. Even if abortion is not for you, having this information for a friend or a loved one could be really, really important as we see more and more of our reproductive rights being chipped away at, as it's getting more and more difficult for people to access safe abortions. So be sure that you go grab this and bookmark it too. The next resource is a colleague of mine shared a recent post on Facebook by someone named Eric Fitzmadrud, who is a psychotherapist. And Eric does a lot of work around men and sexuality and consent. And he had this post about testosterone. And as soon as I read it, I thought, I need to share this on the show. I'm going to link to this post at donsarah.com slash EP290 for episode 290. How are we on episode 290? Anyway, just in case you want to check out other posts by Eric, there's actually two that I'm going to share, but here's the first one all about testosterone. Eric wrote, men, we need to understand the real nature of testosterone. Most of what's out there in popular culture are myths about masculinity posing falsely as information about testosterone. Above a very low baseline, T levels aren't associated with sexual desire or erection strength. Once that minimum is met, adding more T only affects desire or erection strength for a short period of time. Testosterone is not the key to men's desire. Our psychology is. Testosterone isn't a maleness, in quotes, hormone. After puberty, testosterone levels drop significantly and continue to decline as we age. Low testosterone doesn't make you not a man. Masculinity, in quotes, isn't caused by higher testosterone or vice versa. Testosterone levels overlap between men and women by 10 to 15%. Testosterone levels may vary significantly with individuals over the course of a day and across time. Parenting can reduce testosterone levels, but fathering is no less male, manly, desirable, or awesome. Different people are more or less sensitive to their T levels. So a person with high sensitivity to testosterone but low testosterone levels may be more influenced by it than someone with higher testosterone but low sensitivity to it. That means a woman trying to get her makeup perfect, a woman kicking butt as a lawyer, a male pro athlete, and a male painter may all be influenced by their different levels of testosterone in psychologically similar ways to strive and work hard. Testosterone is not responsible for men's violence. The ratio of testosterone to cortisol and serotonin does seem to relate to violence. Cortisol levels rise with fear of punishment and censure. So culture may inhibit violence or create safety regardless of testosterone levels. If testosterone doesn't equal desire, then we have to learn about the psychology of our desire to understand regulate, and improve it. If testosterone doesn't create maleness, then we can define the kind of man or person we want to be for ourselves. If T doesn't create men's violence, then we are responsible for creating accountability for violence and ensuring safety. Interesting, isn't it, how often we hear that it's testosterone that's causing all the violence and the problems, 
And this post by Eric offers us a chance to start asking new questions about masculinity, which we desperately need, and so many of the cultural and social beliefs that we ascribe to men. So I was scrolling through Eric's feed just to kind of see what I could find. He seems to be very trans-affirming. There's a lot of like trans activism stuff on his post. There's lots of posts about consent and behavior. And I came across another post from a few weeks ago that I appreciated. And I thought, I'll share this little tidbit too. So here's what Eric wrote about men's sexual desire. Men, regulating our sexual desire is our responsibility and no one else's. No one ever teaches why or how beyond don't. That's why one of the first skills I teach is regulating desire. Why regulate desire? If you remember that other people are fully autonomous humans with needs, feelings, and experiences that are different from yours, then you won't make any assumptions. You'll want to regulate yourself. If you're attracted to women, empathy has special relevance. Most women have experienced sexual harassment, coercion, assault, or rape. Every woman knows someone who has had one or more of those experiences. Empathy for women means knowing your desire could be threatening. So now you want to regulate your desire, but how? There are a few core steps. Take charge of your own pleasure. Yes, masturbation, among other things. Manage your attention. Savor appreciation. Stay focused on the kind of person you want to be. Regulate stimulus and use consent practices. The plumbing of sex is simple. The psychology of sex is unique and dynamic. It takes guidance and practice to navigate skillfully. This made me think about one of my favorite conversations that I've had over the years. It was with Kavanaugh Quick, and we were talking about the importance of being able to be with our arousal and our desire without needing to take action, which is something that we really rarely hear about. Like, can we feel aroused without needing to do something about it in that moment. Because sometimes we're aroused and in a place where that's just not realistic or it would potentially do damage to our career or our relationships. Can we own the wanting our desires while acknowledging that sometimes they might not be possible or now might not be the time? I think about that a lot. And when I think about what Eric is offering here about testosterone and sexual desire for men, it really does give me hope. I mean, we can't dismantle patriarchy, misogyny, toxic masculinity without men. And if we can begin teaching and learning about masculinity in new ways that offer more opportunities for feeling validated and supported without feeling entitled to other people's bodies, that would be such a huge step towards healing for all of us, which I want. So I don't know a lot about Eric's work, but I do plan on doing a deeper dive because my cursory glances through his social media seemed like he was asking some pretty cool questions. So if you want to check him out, I'm going to share those posts um, at donsara.com slash EP290. You can check those out and then follow him if you want. There was one other thing I saved this week, and it was a series of posts about relationship killers and relationship savers by Rising Woman, which is a really popular account on Instagram. 
And I wanted to be in them with you. Here's what they say. Relationship savers, curiosity, listening, compassion, consideration, holding space, communication, willingness to lean in, embracing differences, freedom to be self-expressed, abundant energy towards connection, and commitment even when times are hard. Relationship killers, unspoken expectations, avoidance, needing to be right, be more like me mentality, reactivity and impatience, withholding your truth and love, ignoring bids for connection, micromanaging and control, demands rather than invitations, betrayals of trust, and keeping score. They also have a list of deal breakers. Now, all of our deal breakers might include these and some other things or might be slightly different. So this is just what Rising Woman is offering. I think that it's uh, kind of a baseline for deal breakers, and that is control, attack, apathy, manipulation, disrespect, violence, physical, verbal, psychological, or emotional abuse, racism and ignorance, gaslighting, and repeat boundary violations. The fourth thing that they posted around this kind of cluster is called how to do the work. And I really liked a lot of the things they had on this list. And of course, they're situational and contextual. You also might hear the snowplow that's going by outside because it is snowing so much in Vancouver this weekend. So how to do the work. Slow down and take a breath before responding. Respond, don't react. Ask questions before making assumptions. Assume the best of your partner's intentions. Don't take things personally. Be clear with your needs, desires, and boundaries. Practice self-care. Do inner child work. Remember, you are both imperfect. And I think that that last point, remember you're both imperfect, is especially important because even the, the thing around being clear with your needs, desires, and boundaries, sometimes we don't know what they are until we're in the thick of it. And allowing for imperfection, allowing for people not to know, for people to change their mind, that's a really important part of doing this work of being relational with other human beings. I thought those were interesting. We circle a lot of these concepts on the show often, and sometimes we have to hear something multiple times or in a really particular way before we take it in or feel ready to feel into the truth of it. So while most of what I just shared isn't new to longtime listeners, I do think it's a helpful reminder of some of the things we can be asking ourselves and observing in the ways that we do relationship. I will just say rising woman has a lot of stuff about conscious relationships. It tends to be uh, very focused on like divine feminine and heteronormativity. So that stuff's not my jam. But I do think these lists are helpful and they apply to all of our relationships. This isn't only about sexual and romantic relationships. Everything that was on that list for relationship savers, relationship killers, deal breakers, and how to do the work is true for our platonic friendships, our familial relationships, professional relationships, all the relationships that we might have in our life. 
So I wonder as you listen to those lists, what are you noticing? What needs attention? What might need to be practiced? What repair might need to be made? If you have thoughts or notice something about your own relationships, write to me and let me know. You know, I love hearing from you. Let's pivot and sink into some of your emails. This first email comes from Cassandra and Cassandra writes, Hi there, Dawn. I had a quick question about sex with a man who is in a wheelchair. I met a guy who is paraplegic and he has told me that he can never get an erection again because of the damage from his accident. While it doesn't bother me, I have no idea what to do going forward. I've never dated a guy in a wheelchair. And while we are taking things slow, I'm scared of going to bed with him because it's something I've never experienced before. He says he likes being teased. And while we try to sext, I have no idea what to say or do. Any help or advice moving forward would be much appreciated. I love your podcast and can't wait wait to hear what you have to say. Ah, well, hi, Cassandra. How exciting that you met someone and are asking these really important questions. Disability and sex is a huge arena because there's, one, so many different kinds of disabilities, and two, every single body is totally unique. So you can have someone in a wheelchair where sex is really fun and sexy and offers all sorts of new positions and sex acts to discover and another person who's just not interested. So the first thing I want to share is for folks who are really new to thinking about sex and disability, there is a sweet and informative little five-minute video by amaze.org all about disability and sex. I'm going to link to that at donsarah.com slash EP290. And while it doesn't help you now, Cassandra, I did have the opportunity to do an advanced read of a new graphic novel called A Quick and Easy Guide to Sex and Disability by A. Andrews. I'm going to try and have them on the show soon. It comes out in May of 2020, and it is great I hope everyone gets a copy. This is something all of us should have on our shelves just as a little starter. I also recommend following Andrew Gerza on Twitter or Facebook. He talks a lot about sex and disability, of course, on his podcast, Disability After Dark. And he talks a lot about sex and sexual ableism and being in a chair. So the bottom line for you, Cassandra, is it's okay to be nervous anytime we're doing something new especially when it's something new with someone that we want to impress and that we like because we want them to have a good time. Whether the person that you're thinking about having sex with is in a wheelchair, uses a cane, is over the age of 65, or is young and able-bodied, the only way to know what someone is into is to ask. Curiosity is actually one of the very best things we can bring into any situation, particularly around sex, because no two people are alike. One person in a wheelchair might love having someone in their lap, and another person in a wheelchair might really dislike that. One person might love using sex toys on you, and another might prefer using their hands and tongue. One wheelchair user 
might love having their chair touched and seeing your body slide along the wheel as you move in for a kiss, really incorporating it as if it's a part of their body. And another wheelchair user might not, just like some people like having their feet touched and some don't. So basically, because disability is such a personal thing, the only way to know how to have sex with this guy is to learn how to have sex with this guy, chair or not. I think it's simultaneously hot and informative, which is a win-win, to playfully ask about his fantasies, his favorite ways of having had sex in the past, what he'd love to do to you. Some questions I came up with are, what turns you on? What would you love to do to me if we were alone right now? What's your favorite sexual memory? What's something you'd love to try someday? Where are you most hungry for me to touch you? If I were to lick you anywhere on your body, where would you love to feel my tongue or see my tongue? If maybe there's a part of his body he can't feel, but it would really turn him on to see you lick it. What's your favorite way to get a partner off? And of course, something else you can do during sexting specifically is share your experience because that's hot. Telling him how turned on you feel, how wet you are, which parts of your body have goosebumps or feel hot, how much you can't wait to feel his mouth on your skin. All of that is delicious and focuses on the things that you're the expert in, which is you. And it's okay to admit to him you feel a little awkward to see if he's down for a little playful sharing. In fact, A. Andrews, in A Quick and Easy Guide to Sex and Disability, suggests that able people, able-bodied people, ask their disabled partners questions like, what do you like? Or even offering, this is all new for me and I'm excited to learn. Because what's hotter than excitement and curiosity? I can't think of much. A couple other questions might be, how does he love being touched? Are there any toys, pillows, or other sexy accoutrement that he enjoys having on hand for sex? You can also offer those types of things. Maybe you personally find it more comfortable when you have a couple of pillows under your legs or when you're tied in a certain position so that you don't have to hold your body that way. Offer that up. Even going through a yes, no, maybe list could be a really fun way for both of you to share your wants, your needs, your desires, and your limits, and for it to be a collaborative activity. If you want a list of yes, no, maybe lists, there is a link that I am sharing to Self-Serve Sexuality Resource Center. They've got a link on their blog with a whole bunch of options. So I'm going to link to that at donsarah.com slash EP290. Check that out. All of those questions that I'm offering are questions I would ask anyone that I was going to have sex with. So it's less about the chair and more about getting to know him and his body. Plenty of people who are not in wheelchairs don't experience erections and lots of people who are in wheelchairs do. So it's more about just getting to know his body, where he feels sensation, what he likes doing and sharing the same. I mean, my guess is there's so many things you want to know about ways to make him feel good. And the only way to know those answers is to ask. If there's a part of his body that he doesn't like having touched, he's going to tell you. And it's really not as helpful knowing what not to do 
as knowing what to do. And he's the only one that can answer that question. As for the sex itself, when you're in person, you have so many cues that can help direct the action. I mean, talking about sex and what feels good is really important. The more we can do that with ease, the more fun options we have. But in person, you also are going to have things like gasps and sighs and moans and those yeses and those mores and shifting body positions and seeing his cheeks flush or maybe him moving away. So you can learn so much from all of that body communication too. Regardless of the body that we're in, there's all this delicious information that we can be picking up on as we're kind of relating to each other. You too are going to find your way, especially if you focus on pleasure, curiosity, and really co-creating experiences together. It's not about the things that he can't do, but about the things he wants to do and that he enjoys. And the same for you. I think something that you can do is to take the initiative in sharing the ways you like your body to be touched, sharing the things that you enjoy the things that are comfortable for you versus the things that are kind of awkward and uncomfortable as a way to model to him that sharing openly is really important to you. And then be patient and be direct. If your partner had a broken arm, you would absolutely ask what touch and positions were comfortable for them. And this is no different. It's a person with a body and that body does different things than yours. So you'll want to ask. There's so much opportunity here and I cannot wait for the two of you to discover each other and to play and to try things. So I hope, Cassandra, that that gives you some ideas and that you have a blast. Report back. For the past few weeks, I have received two different emails from two different people that essentially boil down to, I'm scared of sex. I'm going to field each of them in this episode, but I'm going to field them separately because the circumstances and the context are different enough that I think there's some different questions and some different skills that can be applied to them. So let's start with the first one. The email says, hi, Dawn. I found out about you through Christy Harrison's Food Psych podcast with your episode on pleasure, sex, and body acceptance, and I loved it. The episode had me examining a lot of my own feelings towards sex and my body. I am in recovery for an eating disorder, and I'm struggling with becoming more comfortable and sexual in my post-recovery body. I'm comfortable with my own body mostly, but another person? No way. I'm a 23-year-old female, and I'm terrified of sex. No real reason why, but I suspect it might have to do with a conservative religious upbringing and lots of negative messages about sex and power that I'm trying to sort out. I've never had a boyfriend before either and would really love to connect with someone on that level. I'm very interested in dating and having sex, and I have even been in a few situations where I would have been able to try it, but the distress it caused felt like hitting a wall each time. The idea of physical intimacy is so scary to me that it hinders my ability to seek out and have romantic relationships. 
I've ended budding relationships when I felt too threatened by the idea of being physically intimate, especially when my partner wanted to have sex. Some pressured me and some didn't, but I was very anxious in either scenario. Now I reject any romantic invites, whether they're for a coffee date or a hookup or anywhere in between, because I'm afraid I'll disappoint the other person with how unavailable I am. And the entire situation causes me more anxiety because I know I will have to reckon with the topic of sex sooner or later. I'm very uncomfortable having someone interested in me because I don't understand what the other person wants. I would love to have a romantic partner I could explore sex and physical intimacy with, but I'm worried my inexperience and a need for a slower, almost glacial-paced physical relationship will be a deal-breaker for lots of people. I would love some advice on how to overcome this discomfort with sex so that I can start dating without so much anxiety and seriously begin searching for a partner whom I connect with romantically, emotionally, intellectually, and feel comfortable enough with to get physical. Any tips on where to begin unpacking would be great. I'm searching for a therapist as well to begin helping me address some of these issues. Thanks in advance. Love the show. You're doing amazing work. Thanks for all of it. Scaredy cat. Oh, scaredy cat. What a lusciously vulnerable email. You are not alone by a long shot. And I'm so happy to hear you're in recovery and getting to know your post-recovery body. Talk about deep, important work. Holy smokes. Yes. So before I weigh in, I post your email to patrons who support the show at $5 per month and above, and two different people shared their thoughts. So I thought we could start there. So first, Liet Starlet offers, hi, scaredy cat, sex is complicated. If we have had people put pressure on us in the past, it can make it even more daunting and scary. Something that could be useful to you is to watch some porn or read dirty stories and learn about what turns you on, what you find sexy or erotic. Perhaps you'll find that you're asexual. That's totally okay. But I think creating your sexual relationship starts with yourself. Once you learn what you like and don't like, you can share that with someone. The right person for you will be patient and will see you as a whole human being and not just a thing to have sex with. What you're experiencing is totally normal. There's a lot of societal and social pressure to perform sexuality in a specific way. Do whatever makes you feel good. Good luck. Yes, I love Liet Starlet's suggestion of working on a sexual relationship with yourself first, while also acknowledging the very real pressures that we're under around sexuality and performing. The other person who commented was Steph P. And Steph says, Hi, scaredy cat. I agree with the comment above about your experience is valid and good for you for recognizing all these things going on with you. I wonder if platonic physical intimacy would be a nice way to get comfortable. The stakes are much lower. And you could ask a best friend or someone close to you to practice some things that feel good, like holding hands or cuddling while watching a movie, as a way to check in and see what you like. The right sexual partner is out there. I know often Dawn recommends being honest in your dating profiles because potential dates can pre-screen themselves. 
perhaps it would help knowing your potential dates already get that you are looking to move forward at your pace and nothing faster. I think you are strong for what you've done and you have everything you need to do this. All the best. So echoing Steph, you have overcome so much and you have so many skills at your disposal, which is a great thing. Huge thanks to Liat Starlet and Steph P, both for supporting the show and for sharing their input on this question around being scared of sex. Okay, so scaredy cat, you and your body have been through some stuff. (laughs) Eating disorder recovery takes so much courage and it can be such a complicated place to be. I love that you tune into Christy Harrison's podcast, Food Psych, because What a treasure trove of goodness for anyone wanting a different relationship with food and body. Highly recommend that to anybody who hasn't heard it. And it makes total sense that you have been doing all this work and are starting to feel more at ease with your body while feeling scared by the idea of expanding that circle to include others. I mean, it's one thing to do all that work, which is hard, and to practice to start finding some kindness for ourselves. It's entirely something else to be in recovery and to open ourselves up to the reaction reactions and comments from someone else, especially when we're talking about getting naked and vulnerable. That is scary. I really love Liat Starlet's invitation to deepen your sexual relationship with yourself. It makes me think of Adrienne Marie Brown's words uh, from her poem that I've read before on the show, but specifically Touch yourself early and often. Learn your body before you share your body. Let yes come from every part of you before you share you. Your relationship with your body, Scaredy Cat, has been through some big changes, and it's going to continue to evolve and grow as you deepen into recovery. How well do you know this body of yours as it is today? What touch? makes you shiver and moan? What movements and positions make pleasure more accessible for you? What things do you fantasize about? What turns you on and gets you hungry for touch? What is your relationship with masturbation and teasing and orgasm? So often, because of shame, because of so many other things, we avoid getting to know ourselves. Because it can be scary to really feel into our edges to explore our bodies when they've been sources of shame and pain and distrust. But there is a big difference going into a sexual encounter with someone between knowing ourselves and the ways we like to be touched versus expecting the other person to be the one who figures it out for us. That's a lot of pressure for everyone involved. I also think that it would be really helpful and supportive to work with someone that's a sex coach like me. And if you want to work with me, I'd love to hear from you or with a sex therapist so that you feel less alone as you venture into some of these questions and these tender spaces. So I'm really happy to hear you're already looking for a therapist. Do be sure to ask them hard questions. Ensure their eating disorder and haze informed. Ensure that they're sex positive and trauma informed. It might take going through a few before you find someone who's a really good fit. And don't settle if you don't have to, especially around stuff with sex. I also think Steph P brought up 
uh, how often I recommend people lead with the things they're most worried about in their dating profiles. And I think that's a terrific suggestion here. There is nothing wrong with stating in your profile. You're looking for someone who is patient and willing to take things slowly, who wants to get to know you before moving into anything physical. I mean, you said, scaredy cat, I'm worried. My inexperience and need for a slower, almost glacial paced physical relationship will be a deal breaker for lots of folks. It will be. That's just the truth. It will be a deal breaker for lots of people. So celebrate that. You don't want those people pressuring you or trying to manipulate you or ghosting you because they were expecting a hookup. Good riddance. That is a whole lot of pain and shame and rejection and fear that you just don't even have to deal with. I would rather, so I don't know if you would rather, I'll leave that as a question for you, but I would rather have two or three or four really great potential matches who understand right from the get-go what you need and they're opting into it than have dozens or hundreds of folks that you have to explain it to over and over again, to have them disappear, to have them reject you to your face. No. Lead with your needs and your boundaries. Lead with the things you want and then let people opt in. That way, you know, the people who are talking to you and who are showing up either really are opting in or they're hoping that it's just some type of like ruse to weed people out. But either way, you're going to have way less labor and way fewer expectations coming in so that you can actually just meet as you are. It also might mean online dating just isn't for you right now, which is also really okay. More and more people who write in, who come to me for coaching, are completely over the online dating and the hookup scene. Meeting people in person might be slower and a little bit more challenging in some ways, but it also means more opportunity to do things you love and to meet people who also enjoy those things. I mean, whether it's movies or walking or photography or travel or board games or cooking or writing groups or karaoke, being able to go do a thing that brings joy into your life and then potentially meet people who love the thing that brings joy into your life is amazing. And again, it might be slower, it might take more time than doing all the swipey swipes on online dating, but there could be something really special there. Another thing that I think could help you a lot, Scaredy Cat, is reading a whole bunch of sex-positive books. I'm going to create a list just for you at donsarah.com slash EP290. So go there and check out the list of books. Having more vocabulary, more stories, more comfort with just the topic of sex in general and with bodies is going to arm you with so many more opportunities for being able to communicate your needs and your desires and even just to know yourself a little better. And that's a great thing to bring into exchanges with other human beings. Also, like uh, Liat Starlet said, checking out erotica and feminist porn could give you lots of ideas and language that give you an opportunity to kind of feel into some of the things that you might want, that you might not want. Seeing other people do things can help take some of the fear and the edge away. And for people who are looking for a bigger recommended reading list, in case you didn't know, 
I have an official, big, huge, full recommended reading list that's got all kinds of stuff on it. And you can get that for free at donsarah.com slash books. So to you, Scaredy Cat, there's a list specifically that I've put together for you that I think would be a great jumping off point around these things because it's new and scary. But for people who love books, if you want to see all of my recommended books, donsarah.com slash books is where my official reading list is. Back to you, Scaredy Cat. You deserve to meet people who want to get to know you and who are interested in moving at your pace. Pushing yourself to move faster than just for someone else is a fast path to more distrust with your body and creates the potential for trauma. And I don't think either of those things are things that you want. So the question I have for you is what would help you to feel fierce and unapologetic about where you are? If you imagine a fierce, unapologetic, confident version of you who gives zero fucks if someone doesn't understand your boundaries and your timelines, how would you stand? What would you wear? How easy would it be to say no? Or that's not for me. And what are some ways you can practice smaller versions of that kind of fierce taking up of space in your life so that you have a chance to start finding those words and that power because that's what it's about, being in your power. It's a really tricky thing when it comes to our fears. Often we're scared for very good reasons. And our fear also likes to trick us. It likes to trick us into staying scared, even when we really don't need to be any longer because our fear is trying so hard to protect us from getting hurt. Often, fear shows up for a really good reason and then overstays its welcome and starts keeping us from the things that would make us feel more alive. Because those things that make us feel more alive often mean being vulnerable, taking risks, putting ourselves out there all opportunities for getting hurt, which fear hates. And that just do it mentality that's so popular these days can really cause us to detach from our bodies, to dissociate, to ignore our inner wisdom, which can lead us to hurting ourselves. So one of the tried and tested ways we shrink fear is by doing that scary thing again and again until it isn't that scary anymore. And instead of pushing ourselves into the deep end, tiptoeing gently into the shallow end with support. The key is lots of support, lots of checking in with yourself, lots of practice and super, super mini steps and trusting that you have the tools to bounce back from any oops or rejections that might happen. And again, that's why support's so important. Rejection is a part of this process, making mistakes, getting things wrong, That's all a part of this. Once you do it a number of times, you kind of get to a place where you're like, oh, well, that sucked, but I've survived that and worse. When we're new to these things, that support is so important. So we have a soft place to land and to see that we're still lovable, desirable, and worthy. There are people out there who want to meet a super awesome, caring person, just like you, Scaredy Cat. People who don't mind taking their time slowing down, having all kinds of fun dates and conversations before getting to anything physical. I mean, hell, 
There are so many people who want nothing but all that yummy intimacy without the sex. That's literally the definition of someone who's asexual. And there are loads of people all along the asexuality spectrum where your exact situation would feel like such a relief to them and bring so much joy because there isn't the pressure of sex for them either. What if, instead of being scared of all the wrong people wanting things from you, your quest became about finding all of these lovely people who would love to meet you right where you're at? One other thing that might be helpful for you, and I recommend this for so many reasons, is the option of working with a professional, as in a sex professional. Would it feel less scary to hire a professional with the express purpose of having a chance to experience some things, to practice with someone without the added pressure of relationship and expectation? Some people find the idea of working with a sex worker less scary than maybe someone who's considering you as a potential mate. And some people find that option way more scary. So I'm just putting that out there as a thing that you have permission to explore. It's an option. If engaging sexually with a sex worker with whom you two get to create the boundaries and there's no expectations at all, maybe that feels really freeing. Or it might feel more scary. So just an option. The only other piece of advice that I want to offer, because I feel like I'm starting to overwhelm you with ideas, is have fun. Have fun signing yourself up for activities that bring you joy. If you meet someone that way, magic. Someone who's attracted to you because you're doing something that brings you pleasure, yes. Have fun exploring your body befriending your pleasure. Have fun shopping for sex toys that maybe offer you new pathways to even more pleasure. Have fun reading all of the books on the list I have on the site and circling things and highlighting things and underlining things and pulling things out that feel like a great big yes. Have fun getting to know people. No pressure for it to mean something or lead somewhere. Just delight in getting to know another human and taking it day by day. Find ways for practicing yes and no to feel fun. Find playful ways to connect, to experience intimacy, like Steph P said, maybe with a friend. And find ways to validate yourself whenever you take up space and articulate a need or a boundary. That's huge. And the more you're able to do that, the more you're going to be moving into that fiercely powerful place. The more play, the more curiosity, the more you're able to bring a true sense of adventure not being tied to an outcome or a destination, but instead really actually savoring each new experience and each moment for the pleasure, the learning, the growth that it brings, that is going to put you in a position where you're more likely to find people who enrich your life, whether they end up being partners or not. And that's something that all of us could use. And that moves you so much closer to these things that you want. So I hope this gives you some permission to get support, to try new things, to start building that foundation of understanding your needs and your pleasure. I also would love to invite you to join me with my Power and Pleasure course. It's totally online and it's really gentle and takes us so deeply into the stories we have around food, around body, sex, and boundaries. I think that you would really enjoy it, Scaredy Cat, and take a lot away from it. The next cohort kicks off May 3rd, 2020. 
and it's going to run for five weeks. It will be so fun to have you there. We have six weekly calls over the course of the course. You can ask all sorts of questions and be with others who are asking big questions about their pleasure too. That might feel really supportive. So keep an eye out for that. Anyway, scaredy cat, you are allowed to take as much time as you need. You are allowed to take as much time as you need. You're not doing anything wrong. You're not behind. It's not abnormal. You need this time. And there are so many people out there who want to be in that time with you. So stretch into it unapologetically and good luck. The second email I received about being scared of sex comes from queer and missing sex. It reads, Dawn, I so appreciate your invitation to write to you that I hear on every divine episode that you produce. And I often think I should write. And then, but what would I say? Finally, it has come to me. The truth is right now I am scared of sex and I miss it in my life. Here's a little backstory. 10 years ago, I started really expanding, breaking out of the good Southern girl mold, which led me to an older partner with whom I learned Tantra, was poly with, got into a lot of new kink, and accidentally also became a parent with. As I woke up, I realized so many aspects of the relationship felt bad and oppressive. I was often getting sick after sexual interactions. I can so relate with what you read last week about toxic polyamory. In addition to having a child with him, sex was the glue that held us together and kept me entwined. It took a lot of work to purge the lasting bonds that level of sexual exploration creates between two people. The relationship ended four years ago with an unwanted insemination, sexual assault, breaking agreements, and betrayal. I hit rock bottom. For the last four years, I've worked so hard to rebuild myself and stabilize my life, to give my child the best life possible, which has entailed coming to terms with what happened and facing PTSD. In this time, I've also transitioned from bisexual cis femme to non-binary queer. I decided that a focus on sex and orgasmic energy was distracting me from grounding because it gave me these, it's okay to be indulgent and slow down endorphins. And what I needed was get out, rebuild, get shit done energy so I could heal. Anyway, thanks for bearing with me. Now I'm literally a new version of myself and I'm not sure how to connect with the kinds of folks I'm interested in. I get so anxious and feel like a fool with people I'm interested in, which means I rarely have success. I miss sex, and I'm afraid to put myself out there, but something's got to change. What next? Thank you for your love and advice. Queer and missing sex. Oh, thank you so much for sharing this with me, queer and missing sex. I want to begin by saying I am so sorry to hear about the unwanted insemination, sexual assault, breaking agreements, and betrayal. That is a lot to have gone through. And it sounds like you've been working so hard these past few years on healing 
And I'm glad you've given yourself that time. The healing process is slow and always ongoing. Hopefully some of what I shared for Scaredy Cat feels helpful for your situation as well. Connecting with folks when you're literally a new version of yourself is huge and scary and new and weird and exciting. So yes to everything. I think the first question I have is what kinds of folks are you interested in? Are they bar lovers? Are they indie movie geeks? Are they social justice warriors and feminists and queer hotties? And more importantly, and this goes for you too, Scaredy Cat, how do you want to feel when you're in relationship again down the road? This question is my holy grail for dating and relationships because so often when we think to ourselves, I'd love to find a queer 30-something who knows all about feminist theory and is kinky and has a great sense of humor, we're shortchanging ourselves because that's essentially a checklist of qualities and attributes rather than a deeper examination of the behaviors that actually help us to feel seen, to feel heard, to feel valued and loved and understood. So how would you like to feel as you move into this next phase? What behaviors and attitudes from folks help to foster a space where those feelings you want to feel are possible? If you want to feel open, at ease, curious, what kinds of behaviors help you to feel more open at ease and curious. Once you know that, it becomes a lot easier to start feeling into the potential of your encounters. Do they handle your no well? Do they respect your boundaries without question? Do they easily share about themselves? Are they willing to go deeper places? These are all things that I start noticing when I'm with new people because I really only want people in my life, platonic, romantic, sexual, professional, who can meet me in these ways. So for you, having that clarity can also help with confidence. I do recommend writing down these things that you want to feel because sometimes we end up around people who are really charismatic and who are really intoxicating and we stop paying attention to those little passive aggressive passive aggressive comments they make or to that little voice that tells us they aren't sharing something being able to return to that list of feelings that you kind of came up with when you were in a really clear place helps you to know what you're cultivating with someone. You can start noticing things like gaslighty behaviors or dismissive behaviors a lot sooner if you've got that thing. And like, am I feeling at ease? Am I feeling open and like I can share? You also said that you get anxious and feel like a fool around the people that you're interested in. And the first thing I want to say is so many people find awkwardness charming. If you find folks who keep talking to you even after you stumble and bumble, those are folks who probably aren't bothered by your anxiety. You want more of those folks. And sometimes naming our awkward helps too. There's nothing to apologize for. So don't use I'm sorry. But it can make the other people feel more at ease if you're able to say something like, I feel kind of anxious right now because I'm really digging your vibe. Or maybe... Sometimes I get a little anxious and awkward around new people, but I just want to put out there it's not you. I would love to hear more about XYZ. Focusing on the other person by asking really great questions is not only a helpful way to keep a conversation going, 
but it helps to make that person feel like you really want to hear what they have to say, that you're really curious about them. And it means you get to talk less because you're focusing on them for a little while. And uh, if you are able to connect with someone and get like their phone number or their Facebook, keeping a conversation going via text or chat is sometimes a lot easier for people who feel really anxious without having to do that uh, face-to-face and doing all of it in person. Also, similar to what I shared for Scaredy Cat, if you're doing online dating, how would it feel to lead with something like, I get anxious and shy around new folks, but given the time, I warm up. And once I get to know you, I can be really playful and engaged, especially around these topics. Something like that, that lets people opt into getting to know someone who right now is feeling a little anxious could be a great thing. It's not for everyone, but the other thought that I had is for you, since you're specifically missing sex, how would it feel to go to like a queer play party? or to a dungeon where there's lots of potential opportunities for sex and where you can kind of lead with your desires. Similar to also what I said with Scaredy Cat, practice is a huge part of this. Are there lower stakes situations you can put yourself in to practice some of these skills? Maybe role-playing with friends. Or maybe it's being a wing person for a friend at a bar where you get to advocate for your friend and introduce people without being the center of attention, but it still gives you that opportunity to kind of do the thing, low stakes. What about flirting online? Or maybe going to really cool events where the conversation is largely about the event or the topic, like talks at universities. So you don't have to spin your wheels trying to come up with things to say everybody's there talking about the topic or the theme. That can also be a way to feel a little less anxiety while still connecting with others. And if there's something you feel particularly unskilled at or awkward around, maybe it's coming out as non-binary, maybe it's just kind of getting that first conversation going, that's the thing that I would encourage you to find ways to practice in super, super tiny steps. So often our anxiety is lying to us. So practice and support helps us to start shifting that inner dialogue and even asking your anxiety what it's trying to protect you from. That might reveal some really interesting answers. Hey, anxiety, you really act up when I'm around folks I'm interested in. What are you scared of? What would you love me to hear? What are you trying to protect me from? You can even ask some of your other parts. Maybe you've got a horny part inside you that's just like, I really fucking need to be laid. Ask that part what they wish anxiety knew. Or ask anxiety what it needs to feel a little bit less rigid. Inner part work, this is similar to like internal family systems work. It can often bring up so many things that we didn't even know needed some reassurance or some attention. And when we collaborate with those parts, instead of rejecting them or trying to just kind of muscle our way through it, we often end up having so many more options and so much more information. So how can you collaborate with your anxiety? What does it need to hear? What is it wanting you to know? Maybe what are some of the other parts that you've got inside you that would like to have a little bit of attention? And again, all of this goes for you too, scaredy cat. There might be something for you to know about that anxiety and that fear. 
The last thing I want to zero in on for you, QMS, is you mentioned you rarely have success. I'm wondering, is there an opportunity for your definition of success to be tweaked? What if success is saying hi and nothing else? What if success was going to an event and just kind of coolly hanging out by the wall, scoping everyone out? from a place of curiosity without expectation? Or what if success meant smiling at one person you find interesting? It can be so much pressure to put on yourself and other people if success is getting laid or getting someone to agree to go to on a date. That's a pretty big expectation to be secretly carrying into each interaction. Folks can feel that when you show up with it. So what are other ways to feel good about what happens so that that way things are much smaller in scope and that gives your anxiousness a chance to kind of ease in? If you do some of those smaller successes again and again, you'll probably find yourself in a much different place in a few months and that's going to feel really good rather than kind of sinking deeper into this stuckness. So for you, QMS, I hope that gives you some ideas for ways you might befriend parts of yourself, ways you might practice and try. You've done so much work over these past couple of years, and it's incredible. It really does show your resilience and your courage. So it's okay if this is a little awkward and difficult for a little while. You've changed so much. You don't have to keep pushing to change all at once. You're allowed to be here in this new version of you, just as you are for a little while, even if it means feeling a little frustrated sexually. So good luck, have fun, find some tiny little risks you can take to practice and trust. With time, you are going to find some awesome folks that you can have some fun, sexy time with. Also sex workers, just throwing that out there. Enjoy. Well, everyone, I was going to field another question, but we are at the hour. So I'm going to save this last question for next week's episode. I am so grateful that you were here with me this week. If you have any questions, please send them my way. Patrons, be sure to head to patreon.com slash SGR podcast for this week's bonus. And if you want to help me feel listener questions and maybe hear your advice on a future episode, support the show at $5 for that access. Have a terrific week and I will talk to you soon. Bye. You used to light up like a spark. Now you're blue. Treading water in the dark. A huge thanks to the vocal few, the married duo behind the music featured in this week's intro and outro. Find them at vocalfew.com. Head to patreon.com slash sex gets real to support the show and get awesome weekly bonuses. As you look towards the next week, I wonder, what will you do differently that rewrites an old story? revitalizes a stuck relationship or helps you to connect more deeply with your pleasure. So don't be ashamed.